Okay. Six months ago, I would have said finding deals is the hardest thing and selling them is really, really easy. And today I would pretty much kind of go the opposite where it's like, man, I can't remember the last time I had to keep tabs on the days on market on my listings. Yeah. So margins are getting squeezed on the fix and flip side. On the buy and hold side, things are getting better because. Welcome to the No Broke Months for Real Estate Agents podcast. Working as a real estate agent can be incredibly rewarding and fulfilling, but it can also be frustrating if you aren't making the money you deserve. So if you're ready to end the stressful cycle of working hard for no results, then get started with a proven step-by-step system so that every month is no broke months. Tom Caffarella is the owner and founder of Agent Investor. He's on a mission to help agents get off the roller coaster of sales by investing in real estate. Tom's an agent whose income has always been up and down until he started investing. Since then, he has fixed and flipped over 1,000 homes, owns over 300 rental units, and has a 350-person real estate brokerage, all because he has invested in real estate. In this interview, Tom will share how you, as an agent, can start investing in real estate. My name is Dan Roshan, and I'm the host of the No Broke Months podcast, which is a show for real estate agents that's designed to help you have no broke months. Thanks for joining me. Enjoy the show. Hello, consistent, predictable income community. Today, I'm joined with Tom Caffarella, and he and I are going to talk to real estate agents and how you can help agents by investing in real estate. So Tom's a, uh, he's the owner and founder of Agent Investor, and he's on a mission to help agents get off that roller coaster of sales by investing in real estate. And he's been doing this since 2005, and he's six flipped over a thousand homes and owns 300 rental units. That's a lot of freaking rental units. And he has a 350 person real estate brokerage as well, all because he has been investing in real estate. Tom, welcome. Thank you for having me today. Man, those are some impressive numbers, dude. I'm trying. I mean, I've been busting my butt for, <laughs> you know, 15 years. I'm a workaholic and I, I like to think I'm doing things smart too. So combination of, of those two things, you know, like everybody else. Yeah, I don't know if I'm smart or just too damn stubborn to quit. So I don't know which one of this. <laughs> if, if, I, if I had to pick one. Yeah. <laughs> stubborn to quit is much more important for sure. Yeah, I think I'm. Yeah, I think I'm actually stupid. No, I'm just. Kidding. I don't want to make that. I don't want to make that affirmation. But yeah, I don't want to make that affirmation. So cool. So tell us about. All right. So you, you know, had a lot of success, particularly with you know, working with agent investors in, in investing in real estate, helping agents to be investors. So what got you started? Let's go back to 2005. Sort of in. You may have started even before then, but the early days. What got you interested in real estate? So I was, uh, you know, I grew up poor and everybody told me, you know, get a good job, go to school, all the, the stuff everybody kind of hears and knows about. And I was a pre-med in college because doctors make a lot of money. And I was driving around as a pizza delivery boy. I put in the cassette tape in my, you know, 2000 Kia Sophia, a rich dad, poor dad. And well, hold on. I think that I think the moral of the story of this is that Tom was listening to cassette tape. That's like my aha already. Keep on, man. I love you. Yeah, <laughs> it I wasn't an eight track. We're good. 
Listen, I just turned 40 in July, so it's not feeling too good right now. But um, as long as it's not an eight track, we're all right. Yeah. So <laughs> Google yeah. it if you don't know what an eight track is for the audience. Sorry, guys. Go on. I know. Talk. There are probably some people who don't. But uh, yeah, so I, I'm listening to that that thing. And, and by the time I'm done, no exaggeration, I was like, you know, nine tenths out of the way to go into med school, did everything I needed to do to get in, took my exam. And I'm like, hey. I want to own a business. I want to own real estate. So I didn't have any contacts that were in real estate. I didn't know what to do. And so I didn't do anything. And I got a job and I became a CPA and I hated it. And I hated it even more, like knowing that the rich dad, poor dad stuff. So I finally decided to get my real estate license because I'm like, well, maybe that's my first step. So I get my real estate license. I start working with friends and family. Start doing okay, you know, helping people here and there. And one day I come in as a CPA and I've been doing a decent amount of real estate and doing a decent amount of real estate on the job. So I come into work in 2007 and all of a sudden they say, Hey, why don't you just do real estate? And I got laid off and I said to myself, like the first thought I had, you know, driving home in my car was like, I got to get another job. No, you know, that wasn't your first thought, Tom. Let's be real. <laughs> my, my true. It had some explicits. It had some explicits in it before it got to. I got to get a new job. Well, you know, to be honest with you, one of my first thoughts is like, why? Why was I not hiding being an agent better? You know, but uh, yeah, like yeah, that yeah. was like my first thought. I'm like, God oh, damn, how could you be so stupid? But so I'm driving home and thinking, I got to get another job. Next day, I wake up and I go, I'm 25 years old. I'm living in my parents' basement. If I'm going to do this, I need to do it now. So always wanted to be an investor, but I, the only thing I knew how to make money at was to be an agent. So I did you know, what most people do. Like I started growing my database. I started having a, you know, growing my network, going to networking events, start selling a few more houses. But no matter what I did, and I think I'm decently personable and likable and I think I know what I'm talking about, but no matter what I did, I was on that real estate roller coaster where I'd have like two really good months and I'd be like, yeah, like I'm going to crush it. I'm going to sell a hundred houses this year. And then I would go like three months without doing a deal. And my income was like up and down and up and down. And I was working hard, but I still wasn't getting, you know, traction. And then I went on a listing appointment for two family in the greater Boston area. And the seller said to me, you know, I don't want to list my house. I just want to sell it to an investor. And I, after kind of like pressing her to list the property for a while, because I thought that's the only way I could make money, it finally hit me like this could be my first investment deal. Sure. And I wholesaled that deal because they didn't have any money and made $115,000. Oh my and God. Thank God you didn't list it, right? <laughs> it's unbelievable because like yeah. I really, really wanted to list that house. But finally, you know, I, I took some advice from a mentor and wholesaled the deal. And she was very happy. I was very happy. But what it did for me more than anything is two things. First, it gave me confidence to know I could be an investor. And the second thing it did was when you get $115,000 in your bank account, and I was 27 years old, and I probably had $3,000 before that. It gave me leeway to say, okay, instead of always like hunting and hunting and hunting and like hoping and, you know, whatever, I could say, let me plan out how I actually work a little bit better. 
and try to focus a little bit more on investing. And through that, I started generating you know, more investment deals because I was specifically looking for them. My agent business grew because I was out hunting for sellers. And 10 years span after that, you know, my company fixed and flipped over 1,200 houses. We built the brokerage on basically teaching these agent investor principles like, hey, if you're on a listing appointment and the seller's telling you like, I don't want to list my house and it, it needs a ton of work, like you can actually make money on a deal like that. And then, you know, accumulated a bunch of rentals, built up the apartment building, some apartment buildings. And my number one focus though, like I have on my shirt is like preaching this message that, hey, you're an agent. That's a great profession. Do it, but also invest along the way. Yeah. And if you're listening to this, his shirt says agent investor. If you're not able to watch the video and you have a Facebook group, agent investor Facebook group, right? Yeah. And it's free to join. We do training every single week. People can access it by going to www.agentinvestor.com. As of this recording, we've got 10,000 agents in the group and we're growing by about a thousand agents per month. And that's really like, if you're talking about like the focus of my focus, it's like to get as many people in that group as possible, because that's a platform for me to be able to, to teach and train and provide my tools and my resources. And I just chose Facebook because I like Facebook. I'm on Facebook. I know some of the younger kids on here probably think I'm an old man because I'm on Facebook, but that's yeah, my, my daughter. My daughter makes fun of me because I have Facebook, right? Same. So I've got a 10 year old daughter and she's like, Hey, only old people are on Facebook, but you know what? I, I guess I'm old now. And I tell um, her only wise people, young lady, only wise it, people. <laughs> exactly. So, but yeah, so that's the platform that I've kind of chosen, but we also have a podcast and we also, we do in-person trainings and stuff like that, but it's all based not just like helping agents invest, but showing them things that, hey, you don't need to spend 10 hours a week doing this. Like you're probably already coming across opportunities and you're yeah. passing on them because you just don't know what to do. Yeah. I want to dive into that here in a second before I do. So um, for those of you that join agentinvestor.com, I have a request for you. When you join that Facebook group, go on there and ask a question because that's the easiest, quickest pathway for you to have success is simply engage and ask a question. If you're looking for no broke months, I invite you to join the five day challenge for free. Save your seat at five day listing that's the number five day listing challenge.com. You'll learn how to take listings in today's market without cold calling, door knocking, or begging. That's five day listing challenge.com. We help real estate agents have no broke months. So, Tom, let's go back to the conversation. Mm -hmm. So, you've done a ton of deals, you've done mm -hmm. a ton of flips and, and real estate transactions. Let's start on like the beginning. Like, where's the, you know, I understand that there's probably already, you know, a lot of agents may just be missing the opportunity. But before you even get there to the appointment, where are you finding your business from? Yeah. So there's where I'm finding my business from now and how I would recommend somebody finding their business from in the beginning. Sure. How I find my business now is primarily through paid marketing. So we okay. do a lot of mailers, a lot of pay per click. I'm on TV, we're on Facebook. And we do have a large 
agent network. And we're always out there saying, hey, if you ever come across an opportunity like this, we'll split the deal with you 50-50, stuff like that. But for people that are kind of like thinking that they want to do this, the first easiest area is just the appointments you're already going on. And the second thing is your SOI, your sphere of influence, and actually letting them know that you're an investor. And a lot of people that are investors that are agents don't let their SOI know that they're an investor. And a lot of people, I get a lot of deals myself. And what happens a lot of times is I go, my team will go on the appointment. They'll also have an appointment with their friend who's a real estate agent and they compare both options. And then if they want to go like a cash route, they go with me because their friend isn't saying, hey, by the way, this may or may not be for you. But we also have an option if you just want to sell in 30 days and not clean your house out and leave your stuff behind that you can sell direct. So that would be like if I'm kind of like no marketing budget and just starting to source deals, like just like you're letting your SOI know that you can help people buy and sell real estate, you also buy real estate yourself. So originally, it's just like putting the word out there. And one of the things that that I learned early on in my career, and I don't, I haven't done nearly as many investments as you have, but I have implemented this, you know, at a small, much smaller scale. And one of the things that I've always trained myself on is doing is when I go on a listing appointment, the first thing I'm asking is, is this a home for me, or is this a, an investment for me? Rather, in fact, my home, this home that I'm in right now, doing this podcast from, this conversation from, I got this from a listing appointment. You know, that's, I went, that's unbelievable. I took the listing. I mean, I'm talking, it was like the Adams family home yep. and, but it was in a multi-million dollar neighborhood. And, and I left the listing appointment. I'm like, I have no idea how I'm going to sell this thing. And then I started thinking, I was like, wait a second. <laughs> right. And, um, you know, bought this home uh, nine years ago from a listing appointment, you know, so that's the way from agents, I, I recommend that you always think that first, like, is this my next investment? Well, the other thing, one more thing to add in too along those lines, it's it's not just your sphere. It's also the agents that you know too. Sure. Because a lot of people are in these big offices where there's 200 agents and they all do a day, you know, they might do a sales meeting. Everyone says, hey, what do you have coming soon? And we had this happening at one of our sales meetings just like two months ago where my team leader um, was there. One of my agents stood up. He said, hey, I have this six family in this city. And my team leader is like, oh, really? That sounds like a great deal. Can I look at it? And he bought it. And I'm going to screw up the numbers, but I think he cash flows 2,500 a month or something like that on the property. You know, it's six units. It was, you know, a big, big thing, but it's not even just your SOI. Consider the agents that you know your SOI too, because a lot of agents don't even want to deal with these types of properties either. Yeah. Let me ask you, Tom, let's go back into like where you're at today. So today, you're doing a lot of marketing. And so when you're looking at the different things that you're marketing on, do you see one that's getting a better return? Like, for example, television or radio versus Facebook versus pay-per-click. Do you see one that you're finding a better return on than others? Yeah, it's funny because they all have like different personalities to them in terms of like pros and cons. And they all have pros and cons. And like what I like, for example, about mailing is when I mail a house, if somebody calls me from that mailer, I know that's the house I wanted to buy because I specifically targeted that house. Now, when I go on TV, I could get a call from a property that's three hours away from a mobile home, from a commercial building, from a property that's listed, whatever. But then the pro of TV is like, people think you're legit. I don't care how many mailers you send. If they see you on TV, they're like, oh, they're reputable. They're real. 
Facebook, as an example, is like definitely the lowest cost per lead, but it's also the lowest intent. You know, nobody goes on Facebook to transact in real estate, um, but it's easy to get opt-ins, just like, you know, buyer leads on Facebook. So they're cheap, but you need to churn through a lot of them. You probably get the biggest ROI on Facebook, but you may have to make like 50 times more calls than say like a TV lead. And Google pay-per-click is great. It's expensive. And when people turn on their computer and they literally search sell my house fast, you know that person wants to sell their house fast as they specifically said it. But again, it's not targeted. So you could get a lead from three hours away. I mean, we get leads shoot like in different states sometimes yeah. from pay-per-click. And it's like, how the heck did they even find me from pay-per-click? But that type of stuff happens. So they all have pros and cons. And um, this is all like if you're willing to spend money. And there's a lot of things you can do that don't require you to spend money, whether you're calling or door knocking or texting or networking or contacting your SOI. So what I do today is pay. The reason I like it is because it doesn't take any of my time. Yeah. But I had to work up to that point. Like I didn't have a marketing budget on day one. So like there were, you know, summers where I remember it was 90 degrees out every day. And I was going up, knocking on the door, being like, hey, you know, would you ever consider selling your house? And I used to always get business from it. Not every day, not yeah. every house, but every week I would get a couple of leagues. I'd walk, you know, four hours a day and I, every day I'd get a prospect, somebody who's like, I mean, were you knocking on distressed properties like for specifically to buy or were you looking for listings or both? So I look at it as one and the same. It doesn't really matter what I think. Yeah. It's what is the need for the seller. And we buy beautiful homes from sellers who just want a quick and easy sale. Mm. We also go into appointments where we're like, you need to sell cash. And they're like, nope, I want top dollar. Like, <laughs> so, yeah. you know, it's more, and this is the thing, it's kind of, sometimes people find this hard to believe, but it's more about the seller and what they want than what the house says the house is. Yeah. Um, when I prospect, I put a couple of filters on because like this filter, as an example, is really important. If somebody doesn't have equity, they can't sell to an investor. Of course. So they can list with an agent, but they can't sell to an investor. So if I'm door knocking, I will say, okay, the half the houses on the street that don't have any equity that maybe bought last year, I'm not going to knock those doors because that's really not going to get me an investment deal. Other than that, you know, I'm pretty open to, you know, any type of deal. Okay. What's the biggest challenge that you're facing today in business? So it's funny because, again, if you asked me this question like six months ago, I would have given you a different answer. Okay. Six months ago, I would have said finding deals is the hardest thing and selling them is really, really easy. And today I would pretty much kind of go the opposite where it's like, man, I can't remember the last time I had to keep tabs on the days on market on my listings. Yeah. So margins are getting squeezed on the fix and flip side. On the buy and hold side, things are getting better because ranks are still very high. And a lot of people who can't afford now to buy a house because their rates are too high are now becoming renters. So rent is doing great. And those deals are becoming a little bit more affordable. So the buying hold side is getting a little easier. The fix and flip side, the, the margins are getting smaller. Overall, agent perspective with you know the 350 agents we have, transactions are down because there's this tug of war going on between buyers and sellers. Buyers think the market's crashing. Sellers are like, uh, no, I'm not giving up my 3.5% rate unless you pay me top dollar. 
Yeah. How do you spend your time? Like you have a lot of, you've got the brokerage, you've got the, your own personal book of business, you're a dad, you've got your investments, you know, that you're managing everything. How do you spend your time? Like, where is it uh, equal amongst all those different, act, you know, areas or how do you leverage? No. Well, so there's two things I start with, right? The first two things are I need to go to the gym, be healthy and spend time with my family. So yeah. this is how I do that. First thing in the morning, I go to the gym every single day, pretty much seven days a week. Get it done. Once it's done, I don't have to do it again. What time? Uh, usually six to seven o'clock. Okay. Um, so I am not an early riser by nature. So it's hard for me to do six to seven, believe it or not. But yeah. that's like, you know, I wish I could do like four to five or five. To what six. time do you, do you have to wake up at 530 or even earlier to make that work? No, 530. I mean, okay. I just go somewhere local. So six to seven every day. And then I leave work at five o'clock and I do not anymore. Well, I shouldn't say this. I'm always on. I'm always responding. But I'm not in the office after five o'clock. I'm not in the office on Saturdays and Sundays. Have you always done that? Nope. I used to be in the office seven days a week. I used to come home at like seven o'clock. I remember a time where my wife used to say to me, like, we're making a deal. You have to be home by 6.30. And mm -hmm. I used to be like, I can't be home by 6.30. And then I'm like, wait a second, what am I doing here? Like, I can be home by 6.30. But that's how serious I was about in the first seven or eight years, I was probably doing 80 hours a week happily doing it. And then I, you know, I got married. Okay. Maybe I get, get to go down to 70. And now I'm probably more like. It's part-timer at 70, man. I feel, <laughs> I feel like a part-timer now because I probably yeah. do 50, but nothing we do is hard. Nothing in real estate is that hard. I'm not, you know, I'm not a construction worker. I'm not laying bricks. I'm not doing anything like that. So in terms of like what I actually do, what I'm always working on in my business is the new initiatives. Okay. So something that nobody has done before in the company, and then I try to systematize it and then hire it out. And so, okay. um, you know, I have 25 staff members. I have, um, you know, probably like 20 VAs in the Philippines. And so when you ask me that question, every six months, it's going to change a little bit. Right now, specifically, I'm trying to generate leads for investing passively in our apartment deals. So I have a goal to raise $15 million in 2023. That's what I'm focused on. At some point, once I start to generate enough lead flow for people that want to invest in our deals, my next step will probably be to hire a salesperson in that role. But that's what I always am doing. Like Because I've made the mistake in my business before of saying, oh, I need this role, maybe a capital raiser. And then you go out, you interview, you hire somebody, and then you don't know how to do it. So then you can't teach somebody how to do it. And yeah. usually if you hire somebody that says they have the skills to do something, it's like, at least for me, it never worked out. Yeah. So I'm always like the guinea pig in my own business. And if I can generate leagues to raise capital and I can do it and I can hit $10 million this year or whatever the number is, 50. I know it's doable. I know how to do it. And the person I hire, I can transfer that knowledge to. And you can at least, you know, what's possible. So nobody can ever come to you and say, Hey boss, uh, that can't be done. You'd be like, uh, yes, yes, it can. <laughs> and that that's where I used to always struggle. Like yeah. going back, you know, probably like four or five years ago, people mm -hmm. would say, Oh, this can't be done because of this thing. I'd be like, Oh, that sounds reasonable. You're right. Cause I yeah. never did it. And I never knew if it could be done. Yeah. So now if somebody comes to me and they say, Hey, uh, I went on 10 face-to-face -face seller appointments this week and I didn't sign, you know, one investment deal. I go, why? 
And if the reason is legitimate and I look into it myself, then fine. But like if it continues over and over again, then we know we have a problem. Maybe I have to train somebody. Maybe they're the wrong person. Maybe they're getting the wrong leads, but I know it's doable. You know, if you're not getting the deals, it's either you're not saying it often enough, you're not saying it to the right people, or you're not uh, saying the right thing, right? And so yeah. in that case, it's like you either have the opportunity to improve your skill set if it's not the situation, or maybe you're not saying it to the right, you know, the right potential seller. So, but again, uh, but again, because I've done it, I can diagnose it. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think that's where, like, you know, you read, sometimes you read like business books, like you read the four hour work week or something, and like, then you try to implement it in real life. And a lot of stuff doesn't work like how, you know, maybe a book might say it's possible. Well, that's true. Yet we're all unique, right? So for some, it may work. Yeah. Right. You know, I, agree. I think you have to sort of find your, like you and I seem like we're really a, a, a lot alike in regards to our approach to leading and our approach to taking action. Right. Like, so what you're saying makes complete sense to me. Right. Yep. And I have business partners who I say they suck at every single freaking thing in the world, except for one, which yep. is they know how to find talented people. Right. And I look at them, I'm like, huh, he can't do any of this but he knows how to find talented people, right? Now, for me, yes, I can find talented people, right? But that's not my sort of super skill. No. It's, yeah. No, for me, for, for sure, I've gotten better at it Yeah, because I failed at it and yeah. keep retrying and keep relearning. But it's challenging. It's challenging. Hello, No Broke Months podcast listener. This is Dan Roshan. I just want to take a moment of my time to thank you for being a listener to the show. And because of you and others, we've just passed 250,000 downloads of the show. And I am so freaking excited. Yet, I want to help more real estate agents have no broke months. And I'm asking for you, if you're receiving value from this show and you think a colleague, a real estate agent, somebody who you know might also receive value, Spread the love, spread the word, let them know about the show because my mission is to be able to help agents have no broke months because no agent ever should. So thank you for your time. Like, subscribe, and spread the word. So you're spending your time, what I heard you say is really on sort of the lead measures or the lead actions rather uh, that will then, you know, roll into the rest of the business. What about times when things blow up on you, right? Because that happens and, you know, how do you deal with that? So I've done the best that I can to create a leadership team at this point that can deal with most of that. Now, again, there's definitely no such thing as running an operational business passively. So there are times when things blow up and they get need to get brought to my attention. Um, I run my business based on it's called the EOS Entrepreneurial Operating System by a book, uh, Traction by Gino Wickman. And it's a bunch of principles that really anybody can implement. But one of the principles is like to build your leadership team. And in the past, maybe two to three years, you know, we've hired a COO, a CFO, a lead construction person, a lead sales manager for my investment team, a team leader for my brokerage, so that we can pour into those people give them the ability to make the right decisions, you know, when they can, and then have stuff kind of like bubble up to me. And me and my partner, every year, we do a best and worst for the year. And one of our best for 2022 was that 
we really didn't have too many fires in 2022. And part of it was the leadership team, but then also part of it is the people that are below them just doing a really good job at making sure those people are good. But like you know, you're alluding to, there are always going to be fires. I'm always available for a fire. I don't want to put out fires that anybody can handle. But if it's something that requires my attention, I am not trying to be a completely passive business owner. I like running a business. I like being involved, but I like being involved on stuff that I can add value to. If I can add value to a situation, then I'm all about it. If somebody's coming to me over like something that, you know, this is going to be the wrong way to phrase this, but I'll just say the truth. If it's like a low level problem, like the toilet paper, you know, isn't there anymore. Like, what do we do? That's when I say to myself, like, I'm doing something wrong because this stuff shouldn't come to me. Or maybe you don't have the right person. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. (laughs) You know, last question. If you were starting over today, Tom, today was day one. Yep. What would you do different? Yeah, that's a great question. And I know exactly what I would do different. The first thing I would do different is going to be a couple things, but they're all kind of related to the same thing. The first thing I would do is get really solid about what my vision, what I actually want out of my business 10 years into the future. And most people do not do this. It's a very challenging thing to be like, in 10 years, like, what do I want? Do I want money? Do I want cars? Do I want time off? Do I want to run my business? Get really, really clear about that. And then take it down, and this is based on the traction methodology, to say, like, what type of business do I need to run in order to get there? A lot of times people don't think about it. There's a big difference between running a brokerage business, a a team. There's a big difference between flipping houses and owning passive income rentals or apartment units. Those all things, I don't care how good you are at them, they produce different lifestyles. So until you know like what you want your lifestyle to be in 10 years, I own a brokerage, there's 350 agents. It's always like, you know, turn and turn and turn and turn. That's how a brokerage is. And if you know that, and that's not what you want 10 years into the future, but you do a really good job of building that business, you're going to end up with a product in the end. So what I would say is, if you're considering where you want to be 10 years into the future, try to find a few people that are at where you want to be. Ask them what their life is like. How many hours do they work? What's their day-to-day like? If they'll answer how much money they make and then figure out like what uh, you know vehicle you want to be in, what type of business you want to own. That's smart. That's smart. Tom, thank you so much for your time today. For uh, for the viewers and the listeners, go to www.agentinvestor.com to join Tom's group. Tom, thank you for your time. And everybody else, God bless you and to having no broke months. See you guys. Thanks so much for listening to the No Broke Months podcast today. Until the next show, I invite for you to be grateful, make good choices, help someone, have the best day of your life, and go find a listing. I'm a seasoned agent, but I've certainly had uh, some months uh, with no business and some cash flow issues. Dan's opened my eyes to a lot of things and taught me things that I just haven't been able to get anywhere else. So learning his methodologies has been really helpful to me in my life and very importantly in my business.